Y'all ready for this? We're ready for this. Nah, 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 nah. Well, it's midnight, and you know what that means. It's time for some Midnight Theology. Welcome back. I'm Adam Penn, and I'm joined by... Larry Frank. Gabe Wank. And Sarah Wank. And our topic today is digital ministry. More specifically, digital fresh expressions. Later in this episode, we'll be joined by Dr. Michael Beck, who recently co-authored a new book published by Abingdon Press called Fresh Expressions in a Digital Age. But to get us started, Larry and Sarah, you are the aspiring church doctors here. Uh, you're both currently studying at United Theological Seminary in a cohort called Fresh Expressions and Church Renewal. So uh, for those listening who maybe have never even heard the language of Fresh Expressions, can you kind of give us a primer? Yeah, I'll do my best to kind of introduce us to this topic of fresh expressions. If it's new to you, it's still fairly new to me. Um, and is a movement that actually started out of the UK decades before we maybe realized uh, we needed such a topic here. Um, as most of Europe and the United Kingdom began to experience a post-Christian culture before we did, it became apparent that there was a need for the church to reinvent how it did ministry, in particular, to people who had no history with the gospel or with church or with Jesus. And they um, prayerfully, discerningly, um, launched a movement to take church into the world and to create fresh expressions of ministry. That name um, comes from the United Kingdom's uh, Declaration of Assent for the Church of England. Um, it's a liturgy, and it's uh, shared together at ordination services and other services, but it says this, the Church of England is part of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, worshiping the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It professes the faith uniquely revealed in the Holy Scriptures and set forth in the Catholic creeds, which faith the church is called upon to proclaim afresh in each generation. So quite literally, the name Fresh Expressions came from that part of their liturgy to proclaim afresh in each generation um, Christ and the revelation of Christ in the Holy Scriptures. And that began um, taking the church into the world, particularly in smaller group gatherings than we imagine for church, in non-traditional settings to reach people who have no history with the church, which is probably still a little hard for us to imagine here in the States, though we are very quickly becoming a post-Christian culture. Most people here in the States um, have some association with church still, right? They have mm -hmm. family members who go, or they have a difficult history with the church, um, some painful memories and experiences of that. Um, and we have enough um, Christian movement still in politics and culture uh, that it's hard to imagine being fully post-Christian. And this is where um, the UK is ahead of us a bit. Um, there, um, I've, and I've heard through the testimony of several people who do ministry there, that for many people in the United Kingdom, the good news is actually news, 
right? Like they're mm. hearing it for the first time. Yeah. And um, though we might not quite be there yet here in the States, we're getting closer and closer to that day. And it's becoming really apparent to us that um, our churches will have to adapt and adjust to doing ministry in fresh ways, new ways to reach non-believers, or quite honestly, the continued decline in our church churches will be unsustainable, right? Um, and there'll be a day when we are truly giving news, right, to the to people around us, because church is not what it is now, even. Um, and so the name is kind of different to get your head around. Um, uh, what it means exactly, but it's essentially um, an attempt to bring afresh the scripture, the gospel, um, to people who need it outside the walls of the church, and to do that in new and creative ways. Well, thank you, Sarah. Uh, Larry, um, you are also studying these trends and have been diving into some of the practices around fresh expression. So, would you have anything to add to what Sarah had to share? Yeah, I think um, particularly when we talk about the United Kingdom being uh, a post-Christian culture and the way they've started fresh expressions, one of the phrases we keep hearing is they're from our future, good and bad. They're from our future. So we can learn a lot from what's happening there. Um, and there is a movement in the United States called Fresh Expressions US. Uh, Michael, that we're going to interview is is on their um their, their teaching team. He's the director of remissioning uh, for that, but it's still such a new concept for us. And I think it scares people a little bit when we talk yeah. about we're going to have church in a, in a, in a coffee shop or uh, in a bar uh, or in a dog park, you know, and it makes people fearful that we're talking about abandoning um, the inherited church, which let's be honest, there's a, there's a lot of things wrong with the church. There's a lot that's broken, but the church has also persevered through a lot. Um, Absolutely. So, and I feel I still think there's some life uh, left in that. Um, Alan Hirsch says that our current models of church, which are mostly just a Sunday morning attractional model, can only reach about forty percent of the population. So, some people hear that and go, well, "We gotta, we gotta abandon chip, and we gotta go after the sixty percent." Forty percent is still not a number to turn your nose up at. So, we can reach our our culture, forty percent of our culture, with our current models of church. But that's all we're going to hit if we don't um, do the fresh expression thing. And I, I, I get tripped up on the phrase fresh expressions a little bit. I, I prefer like emerging communities, uh, something like that. And, and there's a lot of talk around what are the mature marks of a church, things like that. Um, but what I want people to hear is we're not in any way suggesting that we abandon the church on the corner of Maine and Maple. And there's mm -hmm. still a place for that. Uh, part of my story is my my first appointment uh, to a small uh, rural congregation. I didn't want to go, even though I was excited for my first appointment, because I saw myself as a church planter. I wanted to do something new. I didn't want to sit around and hold the hands of, of a bunch of people in a 150-year-old declining congregation. My experience there changed my posture from it has to be either or, uh, to an and kind of thing. You can do these new fresh expressions type of things and still breathe life into the church that has been on the same corner 
for over over a hundred years. Um, so in fresh expression circles, we call this the blended ecology. And my whole dissertation that I'm working on at United is about the blended ecology. The idea that we need both together. There's a phrase in the business world that there's a tyranny to the or and a genius to the and. And that's very much what I'm, I'm pushing at. We need all of this together um, that the inherited church has, has the foundation, has the tradition, um, kind of has this guarding of the faith aspect to it. Um, that new emerging communities probably don't have. And the new emerging communities have this energy behind them mm-hmm. and, and new people coming to Christ. So they can bring life to one another in that. Yeah. And, and we see that a lot in the book of Acts, particularly with Jerusalem and Antioch. Uh, Antioch's a new emerging Christian community. Um, it started mostly amongst the Jews who were who kind of scattered after the uh, the martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, but then the gospel started going to Gentiles. The church in Jerusalem, the the, the established church, uh, you know, started to have some questions about what was happening in Antioch. And you can read all about that through Acts 15 and the Jerusalem Council, what's going to be required of this new, this new church. What they ended up going with is here are the things that are non-negotiable that you have to do to be a part of the Christian church. But we're going to let you do your thing. It looks really different from what we do in Jerusalem, where we still maintain a lot of Jewish practice. We want to bless you to do your thing. And it brought uh, this symbiotic growth to both. It brought new life to the the church in Jerusalem, which was really beleaguered after persecution. Um, and it brought hope to the emerging church that they had the support of mother, mother church, um, so blended ecology is is my thing. We we need to all do this together, and it brings life to the whole, uh, to the whole thing. So nobody is suggesting, um, at least in serious fresh expression circles, nobody is suggesting that we walk away um, from what the what the church has done. Uh, all of us uh, were brought to faith through traditional models of church. Yeah, um, and there's there's still there's still a place for that, and I still love that. And I mean, if you pin me into a corner, I'm a smells and bells guy. It wouldn't take much for uh, for me to be Roman Catholic. I mean, so hear that, knowing that since I love that traditional model of church and still see myself very much there, I still think we need to do both. And I, I'm not going to ab- abandon one for the other. And I think we'll probably get here a little bit later, a little bit more into these topics of blended ecology and then evangelism. But Larry, I think one of the things that helped my fear of this, um, you know, is it threatening to the to the uh, local church? Um, does it abandon the tradition and theology and history and um, discipleship of um, the existing established church? And I think the thing that helped me most is actually just understanding that this is evangelism, right? It's evangelism different. Um, we've seen evangelism as inviting people to the inherited church, right? Going out to, into the street corners to invite them to the church so that they participate in corporate worship with us. And it just sort of shifts the focus of evangelism. The church still going out, but they go out to help create communities and churches, little, little churches, where people are. And that this is quite simply evangelism, which makes it a lot less threatening to people who care about their existing church having a future, having longevity, um, because then they can maybe embrace the, the idea that these two things were together. They're not threatening to one another. And it's just a new way to do evangelism and to bring the gospel to folks. And a way to fully embrace the other six days of the week, right? 
because yeah. uh, it, it provides all of these opportunities for for people to worship in different settings and, and in settings where they already are. I mean, uh, we, we've seen research from the Barna Group um, looking at church attendance trends from the early 90s through to 2020, pre-pandemic 2020, where the number of people who say that they attended worship in the past seven days has just fallen drastically. It really accelerated around 2010 and was really, really, really ramping up even before the pandemic. And then just recently, we saw that that a large majority of people who consider their faith very important to them have not attended church at all during the pandemic. And a lot of that, I think, as churches were pushed into this digital space, we tried to just recreate what we were doing on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a recording of watching the screen of what you would see on a Sunday morning. The churches that have done this best have embraced the the online presence and made something specifically for those watching online. And that's something that probably needs to keep going um, yeah. as we go. So it just embraces people uh, where they're at. And I think there's a way to bring the, the traditions, the things that we love most about the established church into those spaces, you know, um, we just recently, even in our in our in our contemporary service, uh, we just started reciting the creeds, uh, and it, it it takes you back to this traditional thing. But so many people have said that that's something that they either missed from their childhood or something that they'd never really considered that it's important to declare, um, uh, declare this faith. So I think there's a way to continue doing both. Um, Gabe, I'm curious what what you're thinking because you always have to listen to Sarah and I uh, banter back and forth about this being the uh, being in the same same cohort, and and you're such an established church guy. Um, you know how how do yeah. you hear this in um, in in your mind? What it means for for established local churches who haven't thought outside of this kind of box before? I think it's it's absolutely right where we need to be uh, thinking and doing, as you said earlier, uh, about how England is our future, or we're watching our future unfold before us, and we're learning a lot from that. Uh, and so the day we're living in today is there yesterday, uh, and, and, and where we go is tomorrow. And so how, as the church, do we continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ in the midst of a world that continues to be more and more online, more and more digital? And we, we certainly don't want to uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater, uh, as that saying goes. And so we will continue to share the good news with the established church, but as every 500 years or so has proven over the uh, the history of Christianity, there's kind of a remake or a maybe a, a fresh expression of how we communicate to the culture around us who God is and who we are made in God's image. And I think that this is exactly where we need to be talking as a church and experimenting uh, within the bounds of um our history, reason, tradition, uh, understandings of Scripture, uh, and letting the Spirit continue to use us uh, as ambassadors in, in a digital way is something we shouldn't be afraid of. We're all living in this age and in this time, uh, whether we like it or not, uh, and whether we're comfortable with the medium or not. Wesley himself was was breaking the mold by leaving his pulpit inside the walls of the church where his father had pastored uh, and going out into the field. It was almost uh, <laughs> a heresy for him to be sharing the good news with people where they worked. And that's the representation of the field or where they, where they connect. 
And right now we're just doing a lot of connection online in this digital world. So why wouldn't we want to be sharing the good news and connecting with each other uh, in this way? Yeah. yeah, and I think it's you brought up Wesley, and I think that's um, that's a really good place to go because he was terribly uncomfortable with the field preaching thing, the the vileness of it, but he saw the opportunity in it. And whether it be the pandemic or the acceleration of becoming a post Christian culture, um, there are things about this about about tattoo parlor church or whatever that would make me terribly uncomfortable just because of what I've been raised in. But if it reaches somebody, so as you said that I pulled up um, in John Wesley's journal, June 23rd, 1759, this is after he's already been doing field preaching for quite some time. He writes, what marvel the devil does not love field preaching. Neither do I. I love a commodious room, a soft cushion and a handsome pulpit. <laughs> mm. So it. it went against it. everything about who he was yeah. as an Anglican churchman, but he yeah. saw the opportunity of, re- of of reaching people, and that's all we're suggesting here. Which, right? You know, our our tendency to be threatened by this new idea where it pushes in on all of us who are serving in appointed roles as pastors in established churches, and that's not going anywhere. Um, this is not the first fresh. Ex- but yeah, that's not the first fresh expression, right? I mean, we're giving a new term to a new thing, but it's not a new thing. So what Wesley did, and that's probably the most recent example, is quite literally a fresh expression, right? So those of us who are are nervous about it because of how it may threaten the established church, he is proof of the renewal that it brings in the church, right? And and the job of evangelism it does in, in reaching out. And so maybe it helps folks too to think this this isn't new, right? Like it's a new degree program at United and there's lots of new books about it right now, but this is far from a new concept as Larry pointed out in the Church of Antioch, right? Well, and you even think about the way that Jesus himself went about ministry in relation to the establishment of the time, right? He didn't set up camp at the temple in Jerusalem and say, hey, y'all, I'm here, right? And and if you want to come see me, you can. And if you don't, that's your fault. Um, he actually went to people and found them where community was already happening, where life was already happening in those spaces. Yeah. So yeah, there's yeah. three there's three important meeting places in 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 first century Judaism and we we've become this temple society where you're going to come to the established church but there's really the tent your home where discipleship happens there's the synagogue which a lot of the towns around the Galilee were too too poor to build a synagogue uh, so a synagogue literally means gathering place so it's wherever the community could come together for worship and teaching so so tent synagogue then temple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all three were vitally important to to, yeah. to 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 worship in in first century Judaism and then in Christianity, which started in house churches. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you so, know, we're, so we're really we're talking really going about backwards. Yeah, we're talking about fresh expressions being tents and synagogues, right? That's what we're talking yeah. about. Right? Is 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 pitching tents, <laughs> right? In communities where discipleship can happen, uh, creating synagogues where people can come together. And maybe one day that points people to the temple, right? Uh, to the to the established church. Maybe it doesn't, but either way, they're experiencing the good news of Christ, right? Where they are. And, yeah. and this is right up my alley, of course. I mean, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be going through this process of 
dissertation and doctoral study if it wasn't. Um, my heart is definitely in evangelism and, and what it means to take to the gospel to folks. And I think that if if even those who are who are most uncertain about it um, could reignite their passion to reach the lost, then this would become a much more exciting thing for them. Well, just just a, a last last word, maybe uh, of note, talking about the ministry of Jesus and his cultural context and understanding. And Larry, you just outlined, you know, the synagogue, the temple. The, uh, the Jesus took it to the house. Let's take it to the house. And even in, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter one, Jesus is going to the house and and taking uh, Simon's mother-in-law's hand and saying, "Rise up." And then the town is coming to the front door. And people are being healed at the house by Jesus, and they're having church. Yeah, absolutely. So joining us today, we have the Reverend Dr. Michael Beck, the only time I'll call him the Reverend Doctor. Uh, as, as Adam said in the opening, Michael recently co-authored a book with uh, Roz Picardo called Fresh Expressions in a Digital Age. Michael's a United Methodist pastor in Florida, the director of remissioning for Fresh Expressions US, and the director of the Fresh Expressions House of Studies at United Theological Seminary, which makes him mentor to Sarah and me in our doctoral process, and we thought we'd invite him on so we'd get a good grade. Uh, Michael, welcome to <laughs> Midnight ahead. Theology. Fully, fully honest, Larry. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We're just sucking up. So uh, why don't you tell us a little more about yourself and specifically fresh expressions in a digital age, the challenges and the opportunities before us, and then we'll see what, what questions we might have and where the conversation might go. Well, thank you, guys. I'm so excited about uh, Midnight Theology and um, really cool to be to be a part of it on the boots of, on the ground level. Yeah, the most cool thing about me is that I'm married to Jill, and she's my co-pastor. We have eight kids together. Um, five have survived our parenting into adulthood, and we just have three at home. So we're we're very grateful to God for that. Um, and Fresh Expressions, it's a little movement that started in the United Kingdom. Um, the folks in the UK are from our future, so they're about 10, 20 or more years ahead of us in the decline of Christendom and secularization of society and all those things that we hear so much about. Um, and it, they started to really notice that there were these little emerging new Christian communities popping up um, that were being led by people that were primarily not clergy. Um, they were meeting in places just where they normally did life parks and taverns and those kind of things. So in 2004, Bishop uh, Graham Cray got together a working party um, under under the direction of um, uh, the Church of England, and they produced this report, 2004, the, the Mission-Shaped Church Report, which was kind of a catalyst for the whole movement. It's the only church report in history that became a bestseller, because um, <laughs> not a lot of people are sitting around reading church reports, but this one was different, and it, it basically advocated a couple things. One, that the traditional church planting model would not be enough um, for, for the church to experience renewal. Um, and two, that the, the attractional only kind of come to us form of church, um, that alongside that, not in replacement of it, but alongside that needed to grow up a mixed economy of churches, the language that they, they came up there. It was, Rowan Williams coined that phrase, and uh, he has said regretfully that he ever used it because it um, is more of an economic phrase in common use than, than, than it was not that helpful. 
So we've tried to change that language to the blended ecology of church, which is more organic, scriptural, Jesus teaching kind of idea. But the, the main idea there is that it's attractional forms of church, inherited forms of church that are beautiful, good, and true, and life-giving, and always will be alongside um, fresh expressions of church. They took that language from the, the uh, Anglican Declaration of Assent to proclaim the gospel afresh in every generation. Um, so they took that fresh expressions of church. And it's the only thing in England, and now it's kind of jumped over to the United States, that most people that are gathering in these new Christian communities are what we would call the spiritually, uh, spiritual but not religious, nuns, duns, all that language. So these are people that either were done with the church and have found life in these fresh expressions, or they're people who had no, the church was not even on their radar at all. And now they've found a faith community right where they do life. And so in the U.S., we're really on the front edge of it um, and, and learning how to do it as we go and just trying to keep in tune with the, the Holy Spirit. Um, and and it, we're seeing great renewal of churches that really do this, churches that plant fresh expressions, churches that kind of get involved. We're seeing it awaken the spirit of evangelism in those congregations. Uh, remind us of our core why that that we don't exist for ourselves we exist to break pieces of ourselves off and give them to the world um, that that every single person has a calling and a ministry and that doesn't have to be some sketchy thing where we serve on a committee or you know we fill in for the pastor once a year or something that's like how do I take my normal stuff that I do every week with the people that I do it with and think of that as a way to share my faith and build uh, community with those people. So that's the Cliff Notes version. Okay, so then uh, tell us a little bit about um, this this newest book that you and Roz have have authored together uh, that focuses specifically on digital or fresh expressions in a digital age. Right. So uh, Manuel Castell started to talk about this emerging societal structure that was springing up called the Network Society. Um, and if you go back to Marshall McLuhan and um, Neil, uh, Neil Postman and different writers that we're talking about, that technology actually reshapes uh, society in a significant way. It's not just a tool or it's not just a weapon. It can be both, mm -hmm. but it actually changes the way we think. So some examples of that, the Gutenberg Press, if you think about it, um, that changed us from an oral culture primarily to a, now a textual culture. So we read lines of text from left to right, you know, and um, the, our brains get rewired in that, that structure. So, you know, we read a book left to right. Now, if you look at the, the structure of a congregation, church, a worship space, it's lines of pews, right? From left to right, the pastors up and center. So in the digital age, we've, we've moved to iconographic thinking, um, that literally the way that we we think is we're, we're after the Gutenberg parenthesis, it's called, and we moved in this new way. So not only does it shape the way we fall in love, the way we communicate, uh, this idea of distance contact, like we're all spread out all over the United States right now, but we're in the same room together through the space of flows. So this is, you know, the, the implications of this, uh, people have been thinking about this for decades, but for us in the church, um, you know, there's been some, obviously, some pioneers who were using digital technologies in creative ways. But now we've been kind of all together through the pandemic thrust into yeah. um, coming to terms with this new space, right? And, and hopefully we learned some things over the course of the last year. 
that like, we don't want to stop doing that. Like we connected with thousands of people we would have never connected with had we not been thrust in that space. We had to figure out how to care for our existing people um, in, in different ways using digital technologies and help them use those technologies. And um, so there's all of those different facets of it. But so taking those same principles about being missional and being contextual and formational and ecclesial um, and, and finding the third place in our community rather than trying to um, do the extractional missional approach, which is we go and get people and bring them back to the compound and we Christianize them and then we send them you know, back out to life as usual. Um, this idea is you go and you stay with people where they are. So what does that look like to be an incarnational presence in the space of flows? What does it look like to take up residence, if you will, to tabernacle and tent with people in the digital space? Uh, and how does Christian community form there? Knowing that lots of people, they're never going to make the journey back to our, our worship service at the, at the church building. So how can we be in community with them and create forums where discipleship can take place and prayer and spiritual development? with the hope that a lot of these people will, will eventually make some kind of physical um, uh, entrance into the space, but they may not. This one thing, and then I'll shut up. I know it's a really long answer. Um, the living room church that we've been experimenting with, we're trying to focus and center evangelism, discipleship, and worship in the home space. And we're starting to try to flip it and think about, so what if we attract people in this space are we, we, we connect in this space and build relationships. And then the idea is then we send people out wherever they are to plant new Christian communities. So there's the, the in-person thing, because um, as Roz and I say in the book, the church will always be a both and a blended ecology of digital and analog. The, the, there'll always be a need for us to have some in-person molecule swapping kind of community. Um, so what if we saw the digital space as the, the primary gathering place, the primary discipleship space, but then we're equipping people to go out from that into real physical, uh, real is the wrong word to use there, but into their physical environments mm -hmm. and think about how do they form new Christian communities. I would say the digital space is just as real as the physical space. Yeah. Uh, but but mm -hmm. so that's a, a little bit different of an idea. So that's what we were trying to get at in that book and just lay out a simple kind of step process where any team could maybe try to plant a digital. Yeah, so the, the digital, the fresh expressions con concept and the blended ecology is new enough. And now we're taking it uh, to digital. Uh, the pandemic pushed us there, like you said, but it's probably a place that we needed to be exploring anyway. Um, so you guys talk in the book about hybridity, like this concept of, of doing things hybrid and making that the default. Uh, and you say, in some sense, every church that persists in a post-pandemic world is going to evolve as a hybrid organism. We will need to cultivate analog communities that have deep roots in tradition, bioregionalism, and local context. Simultaneously, we will need to cultivate fresh sprouts of church that are nimble and digital, while also having a root-tethered system, but appear predominantly in in the digital context. Grafting these organisms together could result in a single church uh, that looks like the, like the blended ecology. So you, you guys lay out a few um, uh, ideas to help churches thrive in that hybrid kind of way, like authenticity trumps production value. Uh, could you just speak to that for a minute? Just some, some tips for thriving in a, in a hybrid between analog and digital. Yeah, like the, the authenticity trumps production value. You know, um, a lot of us learned this by, by 
failing forward on on a national stage in front of every all of our Facebook friends, right? We're getting on there and messing up. And but what we found was people really resonated with that. It was real church people became real and it was something that they could access. It was not this mysterious thing that they don't know. Like and and these are real people doing their best. So there's something about the the authenticity piece. I think the 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 deeper challenge that we're trying to work through now when our fresh expressions, when we lost our third places, so, you know, the tattoo parlors closed, most Southwest grill can't go in there. Even the dog park, people didn't want to go to that. And even though it's mm-hmm. an outside safer venue to have church. Um, so we lost all those third places. And we found that like, we always pick on traditional church folks that fight over their pews, right? Like that's my pew. And if you sit in it, we go, you're going to see Miss Ethel's going to break out some mace and, or a beer bottle or yeah, something. Right? Right. <laughs> well, the, the, the Fresh Expression pioneers were doing the same thing. Like, well, we can't, you know, we can't get in the tattoo parlor. So, you know, we can't really have church. And we're thinking, so was it about the tattoo parlor? Did we not form significant relationships in that space? Is it not about mm-hmm. Jesus and, and all of those things? So people got just as attached to, the, the space and the practice and the pew, if you will, of, of these new non-traditional forms of church, right? So I think going back into it, if we would have been a little bit, had a little bit more forward uh, thinking around it, we would have had some digital component built into it, some way to like um, stay connected and, and to be more intentional about how we use digital technologies. So every fresh expression could have a live feed going on. And as we're, as we're doing tattoo talk, we could ask people in the in the feed, you know, to share and give space for that, and and connect people better between. Um, so some of what was lost in in, in losing the the space was people were like, well, you know, just call me when y'all go back, rather than hmm. you know, let's gather once a week and keep our relationship kind of uh, moving. So those are some things just from the pioneer side of it. I think on the on the inherited church side. Um, you know, Leonard Sweet has been writing for decades about trying to get t- churches to embrace, you know, having a digital front door that he talks about. But now I think it's even more than that. Not only do we need to have, you know, an online presence for people to discover us, but we need to be, uh, that's more of a defensive posture, if you will, for if you want to use a, a football analogy. We need to have a little bit more of an offense and think about how do we go into that digital space and, and be present um, there as well. So hybridity is, is kind of mixing both of those together, being intentional about how we're uh, grafting and, and using analog to feed the digital, digital to feed the analog. and A lot of both and thinking. Right. Which yeah. is deeply scriptural. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the early church was about, a, it was formed in Acts 2 around people that gathered in the temple and at their homes around the tables where they broke bread, dedicated themselves to the apostles teaching the prayers. So it was both and from, you know, Jesus's ministry to Antioch and Jerusalem to there was this, this multiple expressions of the Christian community all over the, the New Testament. I think that's a really good point that you, you shared, Michael, about <laughs> your experience with some of these fresh expressions that have begun meeting in non-traditional spaces, kind of elevating their experience of church as somehow superior to 
another experience, right? And and we kind of just have the tendency to do that. We're we're kind of wired for that either or, and we need to, you know, we all need to open up to that both end to some level, you know, is what it sounds like. So yeah, and you know, um, that's the unfortunate thing that we do as church folks, and we adopt um, like business metaphors without doing really deep scriptural thinking around that. So I've used this idea of disruptive innovation. I've written about it in several books. Um, and and um, this idea of, you know, some disruptive technology comes around. It's a game changer. So people stop going to Blockbuster because now there's Netflix, right? Mm. Or those, those different kind of ideas. But biblically speaking, that is not Christian innovation. That's creative destruction. And that creates a culture of waste, so the next new thing comes along and we jump on the, that yeah. thing and then we throw away the old thing. But what the New Testament talks about in the whole biblical narrative really is about a God who makes all things new, mm. not a God who makes all new things. Mm. And there's a difference. And we like the new shiny thing. So people will jump in these fresh expression communities, get all excited about it. And then we can leave the inherited church that birthed us and gave us life and meaning uh, behind and say, oh, the new cool thing. And and there really needs to be great intentional effort on lifting both of those things up and, and valuing both of those things and connecting both of those things because they're both just as important. And I think the hard selling point on the digital thing is helping people understand that the digital is just as important as the, as the analog now. Yeah, It's not one better than the other, but we're going to need both. Um, well, there has been um, some some of the criticism around fresh expressions is that it's simply um, affinity groups or hobbies for existing Christians, um, giving them excuse to gather in creative new ways, right, in the dog park or for yoga church. And, and Larry and I have gotten to learn a lot through you and through the doctoral process already, um, especially through um, your mentor, Michael Moynia out of the UK, um, who would push us on that to say uh, fresh expressions expressions are really only new forms of church if those folks are also creating new forms of church, essentially um, helping to evangelize others, create new disciples, reach out into new communities. So um, I think that has been part of the misunderstanding of what fresh expressions are. You know, we're not talking about a group of people who bring their dogs together to have prayer and a devotion, right, who are already Christian. We're talking about trying to bring um, the news of Jesus Christ to to people for whom it is news, and then to encourage those people to make disciples themselves, right? To make new disciples. Um, and in chapter five of your book, you talk about how even in digital platforms, we have the opportunity um, to really reach into evangelism, which is at the heart of fresh expressions, uh, and keep this thing um, being about reaching new people. So um, if you would just kind of share a little bit about your heart for fresh expressions and evangelism, how you think those two things are connected, um, and how the digital world w- works into that. How do we reach people who aren't already connected to our communities um, when we're restricted, right, in particular over digital platforms? Good. Thank you. That is a loaded question. So I'm going to go through it and then you straighten me back out if I, if I go. You got it, course. man. <laughs> um, so the, the, mo- the greatest kind of blistering critique of fresh expressions, there's been some heavyweight scholars written books like For the Parish and kind of a, um, an argument against fresh expressions. And their major 
point of contention is that it's just kind of the uh, Donald McGavern's um, homogeneous unit principle brought back to life kind of. So it's getting people together in homogeneous groups. Um, and if you actually look at the bridges of God and some of the things that McGavern wrote, who was an actual missionary, not somebody sitting in ivory tower critiquing those um, people who have never actually been on a mission field in their life. Um, and what he was saying was not anything that the church growth unit, uh, group, gr- church growth movement took it up in different ways to say they employed it in the mega church system, right? Just like, like attracts like, so let's create the most homogeneous kind of thing where people can, what he was saying is, um, people, groups of people become Christian as a social organization, uh, as a social organism. So our Western approach of evangelism is, you know, let's go in the evangelist with the, all the, the notches on our belt. We go in, we win somebody to Christ. We get them to pray the sinner's prayer or whatever. And, you know, then we bring them back to the compound. So what he was noticing, and uh, as well as many other, Roland Allen wrote about this, uh, Leslie Newbegin wrote about this, um, uh, Christianity Rediscovered, Vincent Donovan wrote about this, that that whole approach of extractional evangelism is wrong because you remove that person from their social web, you take them back to the compound, now they work there, they go to school there. But what happens is you actually... Uh, sever any further opportunity for real evangelism. So what McGavern was actually advocating is that you go in incarnational sense, allow people to become Christian in their social units. um, And then that spreads in what he calls a people movement. So it's a group of people becoming Christians together in a centered set evangelism kind of way. Um, And that's how anytime we've seen the great expansion of the gospel over continents and spaces and places, it's been that approach that's really uh, worked. So the Fresh Expressions movement, uh, it can seem like, okay, so it's uh, around affinities and interests, and it is, but you have to understand that when that all mixes together in this ecology of of different congregations and, and inherited churches and Fresh Expressions of church, people are becoming Christians in, in groups um, and it's raising up indigenous leaders. So people of no faith and maybe I've got some faith and I don't want anything to do with faith are coming to these things, growing together, bringing their authentic wrestlings. Um, and then as they come to know Christ, then they're starting their own little version of these communities in whatever faithful way. So oftentimes actually um, the, the diversity of these fresh expressions is, is much more um, pronounced than what you will experience in an inherited congregation. Like the 11 o'clock Sunday hour is still the most segregated hour in the United States, right? Yeah. What, yeah. What's happening is we're joining into the diversity that's already in the community around the practices. Now, obviously, some practices lean toward certain age and racial kind of demographics, but then when you mix all of those together and, and you see this kind of people journeying around different things, like they're going to burritos and Bibles on, on Saturday night, and then they're, they're going to dog park church, and then they're going to, you know, and kind of making relationships all through that. And then they're sharing their faith and saying, okay, so I can do this. I'm going to start, you know, my little church over here around my common. So it's actually the church is proliferating and spreading through a whole community in the normal rhythm of the community. 
So it's no longer being a Christian, just this one day a week thing, or maybe two, if you're a really dedicated Christian, it's a two day a week thing because you go to Bible (laughs) study, you go to Pastor Larry's Bible study, and you go Sunday morning uh, to worship. This is like all your whole life, every day, you know, Jesus is everywhere where we are and and, and before us and, and goes before us in every life and all of that. So it really makes um, uh, following Jesus a very exciting and wonderful journey. It's not this separated thing, but it's every dimension of my life uh, is, is not out of bounds for how I'm going to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's exciting to me, right? Um, incarnational versus extractional, which you speak to in that chapter. It feels right, right? That feels feels like how it was supposed to be and that this will allow us to sort of recapture ministry to entire communities and growth and diversity and, and opportunity connection to the community around us. And, and to be honest, at times I don't understand the threat, right, that some traditional folks have because uh, for me it just feels like the opportunity we've we've we were always supposed to be taking right and connecting with the community and bringing Christ to it. So, um, my heart is with your heart in that and how evangelism and fresh expressions are connected together. Thank you, Sarah. And let me say one more thing about that because it's really exciting. Somebody who's been Christian for a very short period of time. So I'm just thinking of a couple people in our church, like Kaylee and Denise and and others who, like, not even a year. And, and, and they're starting these new Christian communities. So they come to faith in one. And there's like built into it multiplication, like this idea of all these people are doing all this crazy, cool, creative stuff. And um, what am I going to do? Like, so there's a focus to your discipleship. How am I going to, you know, step up? Well, you know, for Denise, that's, I, lo- I love to run marathons and 5Ks. And she does that. And she would do that, you know, no matter if anybody did it with her or not. So she turns her passion into that. So when you think about Paul's church planning model, where he's going around raising up leaders very quickly, they have the spirit, they have some scriptures, he moves on to the next place, and then they're kind of indigenous leaders taking the ball from there. So that's happening in a, in a kind of a new uh, way through these fresh expressions of church. And um, I mean, lots of people are coming to faith through this, through, who just wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. And that's the whole why of it. It's just there's millions, billions of people that are never going to come to know Jesus in, in our limited way of being church. Um, and that's why we do it. That's the whole uh, theological rationale before it, before it is the great commission and the great commandment and bringing those things back together. So, yeah. So how do we, what, what are the checks and balances when we expand the circles into fresh expressions? How do we help keep, uh, or uh, I guess, what is our responsibility as Christian leaders to help uh, people grow into mature Christian disciples? Gabe, thank you for asking that, because I, I think you're really hitting the elephant in the room question around fresh expressions. And it's really important mm-hmm. that, that we think deeply and theologically about this. My go-to with it, um, and it, it happened by accident, just kind of following the Holy Spirit. So I, I, that's how most of my life goes. But um, it's a... It's a Amen it's to that. A, <laughs> I think all, all of our lives go, right? Um, it's, a, it's a remix of the early Wesleyan discipleship system. Which, you know, what separated Whitfield from, from you know, his, his rope of sand from Wesley 
is the discipleship system that accompanied the field preaching. Yeah. Right. So you go out and begat a bunch of children for the slaughter or however he phrased it. Right. Um, and what Wesley was doing was creating graceful forums for people at different levels to explore mm-hmm. um, as Christ uh, was working in their life. What does that mean? And how do I live that out? So if you look at his journals around field preaching and he was saying, and so many hundred were awakened on this day and da, da, da. And he's actually identifying the waves of grace that are taking place really in each of the the forums. So in the field, it's mostly people coming to faith. And then if you just leave them there, that would be like having a fresh expression and never, never getting to Jesus, never getting to scriptural engagement, never Mm -hmm. getting to. So the, the sermonic conversation, and I can talk more about that if you want, um, is probably the new field preaching model. But then, so the, the class system the society system, that's that justifying grace. So people are saying, I, you know, I only have a desire to flee the wrath to come. That was the only requirement for membership. So you come in, you're teaching basic, you know, Christian doctrine is what it was, Christian yeah. fundamentals. People then could take another step if they want to go into a band or, uh, you know, a class meeting. And then there, that's a whole nother level of grace where we're going, how goes it with your soul? Uh, class meeting, we're studying scripture, there's mm-hmm. uh, apprenticeship, discipleship, one-on-one relationship. Then we're moving into sanctification space in the bands. So what I see in the Fresh Expressions is there are all these different levels of discipleship development. Like some of them, we're having communion, we're worshiping Jesus, there's an offering that's taken, uh, people are paired up in, in, in discipleship relationships offline, and they're coming to the group. Um, like some of them, I'm thinking of Nicole's Mascara Mondays. That is a modern day sanctification band, okay, of women. Their 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 tagline is being sanctified and single. Um, and they get together, they study scripture, they talk about their stuff. So all of that's happening. So it's not just um, you know willy nilly. There there's a space where you have to invite people to consider Jesus and do that in a creative way and let them reflect and ask their questions rather than kind of tell them what we think they need to know. But then they, they opt in and they, they'll take those next levels of faith if we make those forums for them. Yeah. So is there it's anything been, in that you want to go deeper with? No, I, I, I'm glad you asked and you addressed it, Michael, because I think it's one of the great misunderstandings of Fresh Expressions is that we, we just want to like launch these new faith communities, do the new thing and sort of leave it right? Where where anybody in Fresh Expressions understands that's the first step, right? It's the entry point. It's it's what you do. But we all sort of come in understanding that there's a discipleship process behind that, just like there would be if you were planting a new church, right? Um, that you have to plant the church. You have to take the church into the community. And that's just the first step, right? Discipleship comes along with that process. And I think it's been probably misunderstood, like we want to launch new faith communities um, and then we just leave them, right? (laughs) No, if the heart is truly for them to have life in Christ, then there's got to be a discipleship process in that. Um, Yeah, if you're teaching and instructing people about fresh expressions, you may just hit the first part, not get to the second part yet, but they do go together, right? We're not talking about um, uh, new faith communities and discipleship separately. They're interwoven, right? Um, have to be. So I'm glad he asked because I do think it's one of the, like you said, the elephant in the room and one of the great misunderstandings that this is about evangelizing people without discipling them. And that's that's simply not true. So thank you for addressing that. Mm-hmm. Right. 
and 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 just to say one last thing because that's kind of I'm glad that you are bringing this forth for people to listen and, and think about it. Um, I would say, you know, in many churches that there there's just a lack of discipleship overall. Period, and we assume. Right. <laughs> right, that because people come to church every Sunday and they do their Bible study, maybe um, that they're becoming a disciple, and and we all know that that's not necessarily the case. In many cases, it is, um, and they're that you know we've lost the society classes and band systems and Methodism, which is one of the key things that made us a global movement for Christ that changed the world. Right, yep. so. Um, when people go to that, well, how are people disciples being made in the fresh expression? I would say, well, when somebody goes from a year of who's Jesus to now I'm leading a fresh expression of church, that's a pretty strong um, case for some discipleship just happened right there. Yeah. And I think Gabe's deeper question is then how do you walk alongside that person and help them grow theologically and help them understand a, a Wesley and maybe not everybody here who's listening is Wesleyan. For, from my perspective, we're working in a Wesleyan theological framework. How do we help them grow in that and learn it and, and, and understand grace and sanctification, all those things. So our approach with it is um, rather than, you know, we, we put them in the cookie cutter and we have them all just how they should be. And then we launch them out. It's more of the messy relational journey and we just try to give those people access. And, and when we do have, and there's some, some things that happen in Fresh Expressions that are, you know, there's people in there talking about Mother Nature and all those things. And so they're centered set communities where people are all these different places. Jesus is in the center. And um, we're all different orientations moving towards Jesus. So those things come up. And there, there's ways to kind of say, you know, that's an interesting perspective. And here's a here's a, a, a historical Christian perspective on that, or here's another way to. So it really does take the skill of of reframing and um, uh, uh, facilitating, uh, rather than leading up on the front from the from the podium. It's this down in with community. We're all in a uh, you know circle of chairs together with Jesus in the middle, and we're helping people think through some of the things they're saying and thinking. Yeah, so I think that's one of those things we think like one of the pushbacks I've heard about fresh expressions um, and I'm sure that'll come up with digital fresh expressions too, is it's just an easy way out. What you're talking about actually requires more intentionality. Yeah. And it, it, you know, to enter into that mess, to make room for the struggle and the tension instead of this is how it's going to be. And, and, and what we're, what we're going to do, this is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) No. And, and you have to be fully immersed in scripture and, and, like John Wesley, for example, and I know I'm going to him a lot and I apologize, but oh, it's, we it's a Wesleyan him. podcast. We're good. <laughs> yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. I, 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 good. I'm in good, good company then. But when he would preach his written, you know, monologue sermons, which we have, you know, preserved, that's one thing, right? And they're very, they're very uh, didactic and, and, and structured and all that. When he's preaching in the fields, he's actually, um, preaching extemporaneously in some cases. He's quoting scripture after scripture scripture, and weaving those all together. And that's what I see happening in fresh expressions of church. So we'll lift up the Jesus story and people ask questions about it. But then there's, you know, you have to, you have to, there's no like pre-planned Bible. We're going to follow A, B, and C. You have to yourself be immersed fully in scripture um, to be able to kind of 
guide the conversation and, and keep and weave it together. So it's very much looks like that primitive Methodism where Wesley was saying, you know, don't be a, whatever you call a trifler all your life, read and pray daily, you know, st- immerse yourself in scripture and all that. It, it is actually, it's a different skill set maybe, but it is just as intense and uh, intentional. Yeah. Well, you fired me up today. Thanks, Michael. Yes. Thank you. Thanks. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time, Michael, to be with us today and to share a little bit of your heart around uh, the places God has called you in in your church to be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, right where they placed you. And so um, I pray that the folks listening will be inspired uh, just by your sharing and your testimony and um, what God has uh, been using you to ignite um, amongst this church. So yeah, thank you so much. And if that stirred up something in you, Michael's and Roz's book is available on Amazon and Kindle version and through Abingdon. Is that right, Michael? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Go check it, seems it out. like you write a new book every couple of weeks, so we'll probably have to have you on again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd love to. There, there's yeah. a couple more in the pipeline. Exactly. <laughs> Thank so you, to- to, you bet. Uh, to wrap up uh, our podcast uh, today, uh, I've been given the, uh, the wonderful assignment to add a little fun piece of trivia. So uh, if you'd like to stick around, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll invite you to participate. We just watched the big game last Sunday uh, hosted down in Tampa. And uh, we're just excited to, to talk about, just for a moment, not the specifics of Super Bowl 55, so much so as historic perspective on halftime shows. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to ask each of you to give, uh, to give your account of maybe your favorite halftime oh, show of gosh. all time. Uh, and <laughs> while you're thinking about that, your favorite halftime show of all time, I'm just going to give you some stats on halftime shows to think about uh, the 15 minutes about uh, given to halftime shows and the money that is invested. Uh, the, the highest uh, expense halftime show was about $13 million. That comes down to about a million dollars a minute. Hmm to give a message. Uh, yeah. And the top five most watched halftime shows, and this might help you when you're thinking of your favorites, uh, it might predate 2012 when it was number five, as far as uh, popularly watched, it was Madonna and uh, CeeLo Green, LMFAO, MIA, and Nicki Minaj. That was 114 million people. Uh, the fourth uh, in popularity, Bruno Mars, Red Hot Chili Peppers, whoop, whoop, and that was in uh, 2014. That uh, was, was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Coldplay good one. takes the third spot for most watch in 2016 uh, with uh, it was Coldplay, Beyonce, and Bruno Mars together with 115.5 million watchers. Uh, number two, anybody want to take a guess at the number two spot for with 117 million in 2017? 2017. I'm going to go. I, th- I, um, I remember having mixed feelings about this particular halftime show, because if my memory serves me correctly, this person um, like flew down from the top of the stadium. Oh, was that? Oh, Lady Gaga. Yeah, it's Lady Gaga. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes. you, you got it. That's exactly right. That's number two. And uh, before we get to the number one spot, I want to hear you weigh in on what your favorite halftime show of all time was. That's Go ahead, Larry. What, you got you got something, Larry? Uh, <laughs> was it <pass>. the weekend, <laughs> though? <laughs> it was not the weekend. It was, was not the, worst, the weekend it, this time. It was terrible. I got motion sick just watching it. I felt like the curmudgeon <laughs> old man, like, this is awful. I can't believe it. Um, 
It was not for the faint of heart or those with vertigo. That's for sure. <laughs> wow, yeah. I love the weekend. Yeah. I mean, okay, maybe the music's fine. I didn't think the the show was very good. Uh, it's itself. So I, I I do remember watching, and it just sticks out in my mind. Maybe not my favorite was Shakira and J Lo last year because Gabe and I were watching it from a hotel room in Jerusalem, uh, and uh. they were they were like you know giving commentary in Hebrew on the Super Bowl performance. I think one of the first ones that I really remember watching was was Michael Jackson in in 93. And I mean and when you talk about production value and Michael always just did everything big. Yeah. You know, I I mean that was, I was just scrolling through a list of who's done it recently. Some of the shows you don't even remember, but that one really sticks out in my mind, you know, and um dating dating myself as one of the younger ones on this that being one of my first super bowl memories uh, and i think that was like 93 or 94 yeah. how about you adam i mean i'm not really thinking back that far but recently my most favorite has been bruno mars for sure that was a, it was just a great show i mean it's just yeah. wonderful showmanship i i gained a lot of respect for bruno mars watching the halftime show so nice. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback sure. with you, Adam. He he is my favorite in recent history, and I wonder how much of that has to do with the nostalgia of he is as talented of an artist as Michael Jackson was, and yeah. and um kind of gives kind of reminisces right on Michael Jackson yes. a lot, and so it, it was a really fantastic show. I remember really liking it. I also remember one of my least favorite shows, not because of the show. It was. I'm sure she did an excellent job, but we all know the year of Janet Jackson's um, malfunction. I just happened to be youth pastor watching it live in a room with 300 um, high school students at the time in full embarrassment and uh, apologetics to their parents after. So so that that would go down as least favorite just because of the role I was serving, but Bruno Mars. um, And then last year with JLo was, was pretty epic. All right. Well, thanks for weighing in on all that. And Bruno, Bruno did take two in a row. He did, uh, he did 16 uh, at number three and uh, in 2016 and 2014. So, I mean, he's been, he's been pretty popular in these halftime shows, but the, uh, the most watch of all time, 120.7 million. Anybody want to take a guess? I'll give you a clue. Uh, it came in on a roaring lion, 16 Katie feet Perry. tall. Oh, Katie, Katie Perry. Perry. Yeah, hers was great. Hers yep. was great. Yep. I totally and forgot the, about that. The the NBC star, like the more you know, like the the star that looked <laughs> yeah. like the you know the the more you yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, what what about you, Michael? Did, Michael, do you have oh, a, a, yeah, a different one than the rest of us? No, yeah. I'm I'm gonna go with MJ. You know, the king of pop. I grew up yeah. trying to emulate him. Not well, but yeah, it shows. Yeah, it definitely shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry, Larry had a rough moves. super. Not, not his his life his dancing. <laughs> Larry had a rough rough Sunday night because we weren't thrilled that the Buccaneers won right Sunday night, oh, and then he got no. dizzy during the halftime show. So he's that still in bad. recovery from Sunday. <laughs> yeah, but then pre- those 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 pretzels you made were for the bomb though. So that re- that redeemed the whole night. Hey, thanks. So. Wish I could take credit. <laughs> well, you brought them. So yeah. Adam, provided them. <laughs> all right. Um, well, that's all the time we have for this month. So again, want to uh, thank Michael for taking the time to join us today and do go and check out his book anywhere. You can buy books pretty much, right? Amazon, any other main places you might want to send us, Michael. Uh, yeah, you could always check out michaeladamback.com and uh, we'd love to help you plan a digital church if that's um, something you've been thinking about. Awesome. 
Yeah. So uh, also just a wonderful resource um, if you are looking for more information about fresh expressions and whatnot. So thank you for that, Michael. Um, And uh, next month, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about the question, um, why does the resurrection matter? Uh, why does the resurrection matter? And um, we're going to be having some pretty awesome conversation around that. So you're definitely not going to want to miss that. Uh, so don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Um, and uh, if you find this podcast even remotely helpful, uh, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or even sharing this podcast with someone else who might find it as helpful as you do. So from all of us here at Midnight Theology, thanks for joining us. And remember, if you don't think anything good happens after midnight, then you've never been to Taco Bell for fourth meal. Oh, 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 o